Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Leonard Perlmutter on with me, and I'm very excited. He is the founder and the director of the American Meditation Institute in Avril Park, New York, and is the originator of the National Conscious Month. And he has studied with Swami Rama of the Himalayas, and um, he has taught in numerous facilities um, across the U.S. So welcome today, Leonard. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Yes. So I would love to kind of know, um, you know, first off, how how did you kind of get introduced to yoga, meditation, and Ayurveda? Like, how did that kind of come into your life? Was this something that you were just always around, or did you stumble upon later in life? I think that uh, the there's two overriding uh, principles that uh, brought me to uh, to yoga and to Ayurveda. Uh, first is I've always been very philosophically oriented and very practically oriented. When I was a, uh, a young child, I was in Scouts, and it, I found it thrilling and very rewarding because everything that I learned was so practical about how to live in the world. In fact, the, the motto of Scouts back then was, be prepared, probably <laughs> still today. And so I once asked my scoutmaster, uh, be prepared for what? And he looked at me with a, with a strange look and he said, how would I know? <laughs> and uh, so that, that's uh, my first answer. The second answer on a very practical level uh, is pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I knew anything about yoga, before I knew anything about Ayurveda, uh, the standard American diet uh, left me in pain. And so when I moved out on my own uh, as a young adult, I started changing my diet. I began uh, inspecting different uh, types of philosophies. That led me to Ayurveda. That was the first aspect of yoga science that I found. And gosh, it was so practical and so helpful. So Ayurveda led me to the science of yoga, which led me to meditation which leads me here today. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's where, um, one thing I've heard from so many guests with Ayurveda, it's often it's, it's pain that mm-hmm. has got us to discover, you know, these modalities. So I think that's definitely a common story. And one thing that I think, um, a lot of my listeners, you know, are on the go type a, you know, humans who are just kind of like, you know, I love what you just said with the philosophical and the practical. Cause I think there's where a lot of the listeners today are at, And I think sometimes it's the struggle to slow down can be hard, you know, for people like that. And I know myself, that was something that was always my Achilles heel. So if people are listening and they want to know, okay, people talk about meditation and talk about these sciences, how do I implement them into my life where it feels like I'm just checking something off my to-do list and I'm not getting anything from it? Is there a way to kind of meet people where they're at without feeling like they're just checking something off the box and it's not doing what it should be, in quotations, doing for them? Well, the first thing that I always try to remember for myself is the highest principle of yoga, which is a word called ahimsa. It means non-injury, non-harming, non-violence. And when it's dealing with ourselves, we're asked to love ourselves and not take on too much too soon. 
And that's a challenge for us because we're always looking to score a lot of points, a lot of touchdowns, a lot of home runs. We want to run up the score as much as possible. But really, the answer is, if you have a desire for meditation and its allied disciplines, start with what's easy and it will be right for you. If it's right, it has to be easy. So, for example, if if you uh, had the desire to lift weights because you feel that you need more muscles and you've never done anything like that before, the last thing you would want to do is to go into the uh, gym and start lifting 200 pounds. Oh, why, it would injure you. But if you had the desire for muscles, you would start with something like two pounds or three pounds and then after a week you'd have four pounds going and then maybe a couple of weeks or a month you'll have five pounds and within a few months you'd be lifting substantial weight and you won't be injuring yourself. Yes, I love that. That's that's great advice. Um, and that's something, it kind of leads me right into that. The next question that I was thinking of was something with mindfulness, like, you know, those simple and practical ways. Do you have a certain, um, I don't want to say like prescription almost where is morning best is evening best. You know, if people are looking like, how can I build this into your day? Or is it really about, you know, what is, what is easy for you or how can this work for you? Well, it's always nice if you have a practice working to do a little meditation in the morning. It's sort of like uh, filling up uh, your uh, automobile uh, tank with gasoline for the day's activities. And then at the end of the day, a little bit of a meditation to wind down to prepare for, to receive sleep. But for new students, people who are new to the practice, start where you're at. When is easy for me? And then establish a beachhead. And if you can establish a beachhead with just one minute of meditation sometime during the day, every day, you'll experience something very pleasant. And not only will you experience it, but your ego will experience it. Your unconscious mind will experience it. And that will make it a lot easier when you're ready to add another 60 seconds so that instead of meditating every day for one minute, you're meditating for two minutes and so on and so forth. And what about on the, the other end of that? Maybe someone has a, a deep meditation practice and mindfulness practice and they want to go even deeper. What are some steps for those people who are like, okay, I've been doing it. You know, what is kind of that next step I can get myself to? I believe that the next step really is to take your meditation practice out of the house or out of the seated, silent form of meditation into what we refer to as meditation in action. Mm. And therefore, you are really, when you are practicing meditation in action, what you're doing is you are using what I referred to as the bridge of yoga. The bridge of yoga is a scientific and a metaphoric bridge that will inspire us 
to base our outer actions on our own inner intuitive super conscious wisdom reflected by the conscience. And the more that we can do that, we feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And our relationships are enhanced. So make it practical. Make your meditation practice part of your everyday life. In meditation, you receive four essential tools or skills. First of all, even by meditating for 60 seconds, you're able to develop the skill of one-pointed attention. One-pointed attention is the key to access your own superconscious wisdom, your own genius, so that you'll know the thoughts to think, the words to speak, and the actions to take that will lead you for your highest and greatest good. So one-pointed attention is one of the skills, but also you learn to create a space between stimulus and response. What does that do, a space between stimulus and response? Oh, it provides us the freedom to withdraw our attention, to be able to slow down enough to check with our conscience, to determine what's to be done and what's not to be done. And it also provides us the opportunity to parent the other functions of the mind, namely the ego and the senses and the unconscious mind that only have a limited perspective, but sometimes that's correct, and yet sometimes it's incorrect. So meditation, seated, silent meditation, provides us the skill of one-pointed attention creating a space between stimulus and response so we now can act in freedom. And it also enables us to access our inner wisdom from the conscience so we're a lot smarter in that relationship, a lot freer of unconscious forces like judgment or anger or fear and worry. And finally, the last tool or skill that we receive in meditation is that we build the muscles of willpower so that we can actually do what's to be done and not do what's not to be done. Then we are meditating all day long, and it's relatively easy and rewarding. Hmm. I love that. And I, I think one of the ways that I know for my myself, like I had just taken a huge social media break, you know, over the summer. And I think, you know, not having just went back on it, um, cause I have a book coming out myself this, this fall oh, and yeah, thank you. What's, and what's your title? Uh, it's going to be divine body wisdom. Nice. So it's all about, cause I'm also Ayurvedic wellness counselor and it's about how to implement Ayurveda using the seasons. And, um, you know, my book coach had encouraged me to come back on and I can, you know, instantly it's that stimulus, you know, just how overstimulated we can be. And having just popped in for a little bit, I am just like, wow, I don't know if I can do this, you know, having been off of it for so many months and really felt myself grounded and, you know, tapped back into uh, real life in essence, you know, just seeing the world without having to think about what to post and what to share. 
So if someone's maybe in that same boat, like how have you seen social media maybe really strip away that present moment from so many of us? Well, I have seen that and it's a challenge. It's a challenge for everybody. Uh, I get challenged and triggered uh, myself. You know, I'm a human being. I'm not, I'm not without the, those types of experiences. Most often, I try to remember first and foremost who I am. Yes, I have a body. Yes, I have a mind. Yes, I have thoughts, desires, emotions, concepts, habits. But I am none of these, even though I have a lifetime relationship with them. Well, then who am I? I am essentially spirit having a human experience. The ancients use three characteristics. One is called sat, which means eternal. I am an eternal being. Second characteristic, consciousness. And within consciousness itself resides an intuitive library of wisdom. And the third characteristic is ananda, bliss and fullness. So I am essentially spirit having a human experience. If I consider myself Leonard in all these situations, it's very likely that the ego is going to hijack the bus Mm -hmm. and want to drive, usually over some cliff. But if I remember who I am and I can bring yesterday and tomorrow into today and bring today into now, generally speaking, I can be like that clock in the midst of a thunderstorm. Yeah, I mean, exactly what you just said with, you know, I am Leonard. That's what I think I am picking up on social media is a lot of people in that boat with the ego really guiding them and leading them. And that's where I can, I feel that disconnect and that instant like repulsion. So I, I, uh, I think that's really a nice way to kind of see it and just remember, you know, who you are. Uh, you know, why, as you're on that's there. Why, that's why Shakespeare says to thine own self be true. Mm. Right. And what, what's he talking about? He's talking about your essential nature. You know, the, the culture offers many wonderful things and social media can be very wonderful and very productive. But we have to make choices. Mm-hmm. We have to know who we are and we have to know how to use cultural things to advantage, not only for ourselves, but for the entire culture. Mm. That's very well put. I would like to know um, a little bit about kind of expanding on what you've tapped a little bit onto is, you know, you have a book that's coming out here very shortly as, you know, we're talking, but your consciousness. So I would love to know what, how do you define that? So if someone's listening and they're like, okay, you know, what is your conscious and what about the unconscious? Like, how do you kind of, um, talk about those? Well, the book itself is called your conscience, your conscience, and your conscience is one of the four major functions of the mind and the conscience. We all know that we have a conscience acts as a mirror and hit alone has the capacity to reflect superconscious wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind, the same portion of the mind where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations, the same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies. It 
It doesn't mean, Andrea, that you're going to become a great songwriter. It doesn't mean that Leonard is going to become a great physicist or a mathematician. What it does mean is the more that we use our conscience to determine our thoughts, words, and actions, we feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and the purpose of our lives is fulfilled without pain, misery, or bondage. So the conscience can reflect wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind, and then it reflects it into our conscious mind. And once it comes into our conscious mind, we can do something with it. And that's the key. So if people are, you know, looking like, okay, I know in the book, you know, you had talked about those, those four functions, um, you know, are these, are these something that, you know, people maybe have need to have some yoga background to understand, or are these things that are for everyone to totally dive into and really get a good grasp of? All you have to have to be prepared to use the four functions of the mind correctly is a body and a mind. <laughs> so if you're a human being, you don't you you don't know have you don't have to know anything about yoga. Okay? All you need to know is that the ego, the senses and the unconscious mind only have limited perspectives. They cannot make any decisions. They are only counselors. Okay? So the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind are the mind's way of finding out the nature of the world and what aspects and what kinds of relationships uh, within the world will benefit me and which ones can I benefit. The conscience, on the other hand, is the only function of the mind, the only function of the mind that can discriminate, determine, judge and decide. That means that every single situation and decision that you have ever made has always been made by your conscience. But because the ego senses and unconscious mind are so loud and so pushy, if they are uncoordinated to the wisdom and the potential superconscious wisdom that the conscience can reflect, then the conscience then becomes overwhelmed by the limited, many times faulty concepts of the ego senses and unconscious mind, and that's what brings us pain. So we definitely are, you know, mindful of the ego running the show then again. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the, the ego does it honestly. The ego, don't forget, is, is tied into the reptilian brain. And the reptilian brain is all about self-preservation and the fear of annihilation. So everything is a threat to the ego. That's why people are so afraid today and so angry, mm. you see, because the ego is hijacking the bus. It's not coordinated to the wisdom within us of the conscience. So your writing kind of help merge that, you know, so the ego isn't 
driving the bus, if we're kind of become more aware of what our inner states are doing. That's right. But let's face it, you and I both know, Andrea, that we need an, an ego and we need a healthy ego. Mm -hmm. Why we couldn't really talk uh, in a way that was understandable between each other and with your listeners without a healthy ego. Neither one of us would be able to drive an automobile <laughs> without an ego. So it's not that we want to get rid of the ego. We want to train and educate and expand the vision of the ego. It's not so limited as it fears. Mm. And so of these four functions, is there, um, you know, another one that maybe, you know, besides that ego that you want to talk a little bit more about? Well, yes, I'd like to talk about the senses and the unconscious as well. The senses are very interesting because all of our creative energy, much of it is extruded through our senses of sight and smell and taste and hearing and touch. Mm -hmm. So we know how easy it is to squeeze a, tooth, a tube of toothpaste to get the toothpaste out, but it's very difficult I don't imagine anybody has ever tried to get the toothpaste back into the tube. Yeah. So once our creative energy is spent through our eyes and our nostrils and our mouth and our ears and our hands and our feet, we can't get it back. And yet we need this creative energy to fulfill the purpose of our lives so that life can be rewarding and relationships can be loving and nurturing. So we have to discipline and coordinate the senses, like the ego, to the wisdom, the superconscious wisdom that only the conscience can reflect. It's same, only a little bit different with the unconscious. The unconscious is the repository for everything that we deem essential to self-preservation. So it's our memories, it's our imagination, things that we are attached to. Now again, there's plenty of things in the unconscious mind that are appropriate, but a lot of the concepts stored in the unconscious mind are faulty. And so we have to know the difference. How can we know the difference? Well, the ego cannot tell us, the senses cannot tell us, the unconscious mind cannot tell us itself, only the conscience can guide us appropriately. That um, the part with the memories being um, slightly different. I was just watching a movie uh, last night and basically everything you just said, it, it keyed in on this. It's called We Are Grown Ups. It was on the Hallmark Channel and, you know, it's just this movie from 2004 and this woman remembered an old flame. Like my life would have turned out different if I would have married him and had this built up in her mind and then decided, Hey, I'm going to reach out, you know, and she's now in her sixties to this old flame. And then when she, upon meeting him realized, Oh, this actually, this is why we broke up. I remember now, but in her mind, like she was living a path that she thought she shouldn't be on. And I think that is just like, after watching, I was like, wow, how many of us do that? You know, we have this memory that we've built up and that's just stuck there. And then we actually remember, oh, there was a reason I made this decision and it was the best decision for me. So I think that's, that's something that, you know, 
obviously it's, it's happened to all of us at times. And I'm like, this is just a great reminder that we all have something like that, that we might be ruminating on and to really just kind of take our conscious mind and look at it and just say, is this, is this truth? And you know, it's, it's so interesting because much of what is contained in the unconscious mind did not come from our personal experiences. In other words, we were taught things as children. Mom and dad gifted us some, some good concepts, but also some faulty concepts. You know, they were just human beings themselves. And we picked up some concepts from grandparents and friends and teachers and celebrities and the culture. And there's a lot on our unconscious mind that is faulty. And that gets us into a lot of pain. So then it begs the question, if I don't train my unconscious mind, my senses and my ego, through the wisdom of the conscience, whose life am I living? Mm. Not mine. And what, what is my life? I don't know. I don't know what the potential that I have to create a beautiful work of art. Mm. I think that question is one that many you know, whose life am I living? I've seen many people, you know, and I'm in, I'm almost 40. And I think a lot of people start asking themselves because sometimes you just turn around and you're like, where, where am I going? Am I on the path that I thought I was? And it's so easy nowadays, I think again, with that social media and for everything to be at our fingertips that, you know, you mold yourself into something that you really aren't. Um, so, you, know, you know, Andrea, what's so interesting to me as a practical person is that yoga and everything that I've been talking about, it's a science. Yeah. It's the oldest mind-body medicine science on the planet. It's over 6,000 years old. And we can experiment to feel better. And we don't have to take on too much too soon. You know, if, if I feel that I shouldn't have a cookie and I'm not ready to give up this cookie, maybe I can give up a quarter of a cookie for an experiment and see how I feel. And then maybe tomorrow or next week, because I felt better with an earlier experiment, I'm more inclined this time to give up a half a cookie or whatever it is. I'm using the cookie as a metaphor. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, kind of tapping back into those senses, I know with most people and still being on Zoom, like I know for myself, I've never been on the computer as much this past year. I've always been in person and our senses, like I can feel it in my body, just, you know, just I'm depleted at the end of the day. It's just different work that I'm used to. And so I would love, do you have any tips for people maybe whose senses are like, how can we kind of step away from this when our job does require us to maybe be on devices. Is there a way that people can kind of shut themselves down or anything like that to kind of signal, okay, let's step away, let's shut down. Besides, you know, because not everyone can meditate. Like if they have families and they have a different, you know, shift in their life, they have to take care of kids, cook dinner. Um, just thinking about some of the moms that I that I work with. Is there any way for people to kind of have that time inwards? Yes, is, is the short answer. <laughs> and, and the key is to grease all of our actions with love. 
to grease all of our actions with love. And what does that mean? I referenced a few moments ago the bridge of yoga, this metaphoric and scientific bridge that encourages us to base outer action on the inner wisdom of the conscience. And the more that we do that, everything we think, everything we say, everything we do, including being online, is in service. It's in service. I am giving the best of what I can access through my conscience to those other people who are listening online. And if I do that, if I can just serve in those situations, I don't spend my energy. It just comes back to me mm-hmm. because I too am benefit, benefited because I am part of the whole. There was a very interesting quote, a lovely quote uh, from uh, Mahatma Gandhi, who, as you know, uh, was the spearhead of Indian independence from the greatest military power the hist- uh, that the world had ever known at the time, namely uh, Great Britain. And he worked night and day, night and day. He, it was not unusual for him to work 18-hour days. And there was a reporter, it was from the New York Times, who asked him this question. You work so hard, you work 18, 19-hour days, don't you ever want to go on vacation? And his reply was, I am always on vacation. (laughs) (sighs) So that's the key. And the key is to base outer action on inner wisdom. Therefore, we are simply in service to this perfect wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind. And when we serve another human being, we are also serving ourselves. Because even though, for example, Andrea, you have a different body than Leonard has, you have a different mind than Leonard has, you have different habits than Leonard has, and yet the body, the mind, the habit patterns that you have, that I have, they're all changing. And yet within you, there is something that is ongoing, unchangeable. And it's the same thing that is unchangeable within me. So the truth on the highest level of consciousness is that even though we appear to be two human beings, we are actually one. So every relationship is with ourselves. So when I'm on the internet or in any relationship, if I can base my outer action on my inner wisdom, I gain energy from that. I love that. That's, that's great stuff that I can, I can work on personally as well as, you know, share with people. That's, that is really good. So if people um, want to know where can we find your book, um, where can they connect with you at? Where's the best space for that to happen? Well, that's very nice. Thank you. The book is called Your Conscience, and uh, it's available at all fine booksellers. 
You can learn more about the book at the website yourconscience.org. Yourconscience.org. Perfect. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes as well. Well, I just have one final question for you. And I always like to throw out a weekly challenge to the listeners. And when I have guests on, I have you throw out the challenge. So what would you like that to be for everyone this week? I would like everybody to remember Jiminy Cricket. He was a cartoon character from uh, Disney many decades ago in the movie Pinocchio. And Jiminy Cricket said all the time to Pinocchio to let your conscience be your guide. Mm. So I would like to ask people to experiment with what Jiminy Cricket and what Leonard is saying now today, to let your conscience be your guide. Experiment with your conscience. If you're so motivated, read the book. There are many little experiments there to give you food for thought. But that's my takeaway. Let your conscience be your guide and do it as an act of an experiment scientifically. Be a yoga scientist and see what happens. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Leonard, and sharing your wisdom. And I'm looking forward to getting the book and diving in myself. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.